السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ پیس اینڈ بلیسنگ واللہ بی اپون آن آل اوور لسنرز ویلکم ونس اگین ٹو ندر ڈرائیو ٹائم شو یو آر لسننگ ٹو انیک الرحمٰن اینڈ آئی ہیو جوائن بائی ڈاکٹر طارق باجوا لنڈن اسٹوڈیو آف وائس آف اسلام پیس بی اپون یو ڈاکٹر طارق صاحب ویری مچ پیس بی آن یو اینڈ آل آر لسنرز تھینک یو ویری مچ فار جوائننگ اس اگین فار اندر ڈرائیو ٹائم شو And uh, we do have very interesting uh, two topics Obviously, today. Yes. Uh, the first hour, we are uh, going to speak about wildlife and uh, uh, particularly uh, nature at risk. That would be the main theme of this program. <clears throat> As everybody is involved in, uh, in life, so wildlife is important. How important it is, how important it is to protect it, how important it is for the ecological system and the balance in life. And also, in the second hour, we will be speaking on, um, are we ready for Ramadan? Ramadan is nearby. Yes, sir. indeed, indeed. It's just uh, on the corner now. So for this, this particular topic, we'll be having some guests uh, who will be, you know, giving us insight of, uh, of, of course, the first topic, which is wildlife. And in the sub- second, to- second topic as well, which we'll be discussing in the second hour, as Dr. Tariq mentioned, Uh, it's one month to go. Ramazan is just there and we'll be discussing that what it actually means and then how to perform and what are the blessings of Ramadan. Just to start with the introduction of uh, <clears throat> wildlife is very important and we need to discuss if the nature at risk or not. The importance of wildlife is uh, critical and especially in maintaining balance and stability in nature. And wildlife's population has decreased tremendously across the globe by a massive 69% between 1970 and 2018. According to the WWF's Living Planet Report, LPR 2022. And there are various causes for this, such as habitat destruction, wildlife trade, and many other consequences. And the UK government has come up with a possible solution that may help restore wildlife in the country by implementing green spaces 15 minutes away from people's home. And, uh, you know, will this green space plan help res- restore the wildlife issues the-, the world faces? And how can we protect wildlife habitat in our daily, uh, to- to day-to-day lives? And we'll be discussing this, and we'll be discussing that what Islam teaches about nature and how we can protect the wildlife. So if you look at um, nature, you know, by nature, um, um, and Islam is considered to be a religion of nature, because it is in accordance with the nature the man has been built and uh, accordingly one has to behave as well and that is what is expected when the islamic teachings are all according to they are very logical and uh, they have been made according to the nature uh, one behaves so as muslims it's our duty not only to serve mankind but also all the creation of god uh, god almighty including the animals the animals they play uh, an important role in the progression of of the earth um, and because this earth at the moment as far as we know is only uh, only planet where we have life although um, it is mentioned that there might be life elsewhere as well <clears throat> extraterrestrial life but here the, the 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 most important thing for us here on this earth who are the inhabitants of this planet earth we are the ones who are responsible to maintain the ecological systems in, in, in on the on this planet earth and uh, in order to uh, continue with the healthy 
environment we have on this on this earth and if we are going to um uh, create an imbalance um, uh, by by our own hand then obviously we are the ones who are going to suffer if not us it is going to be the next generations and for the next generation what are we going to leave that is what we have to think about we have to think about the healthy environment what are we uh, whatever we are doing of course we are making progress in the field of science we are uh, making progress in the field of uh, technology more and more um, uh, sort of inventions are, are taking place electronic world electric world uh, and also now we are having an it's a big challenge of having the nuclear power getting under control and uh, how we are going to use it is it uh, the way we use it is going to have a massive effect on the um, on the life on earth uh, particularly the animal life the animal life we have uh, already disturbed a lot um, uh, of the and according to one article which has been published um, on uh, sentientmedia.org states that the animals play an essential role in maintaining a healthy environment and among other ways they do help with the pollination with the pest control and the climate control so as it is mentioned above all creatures have their own responsibility everybody has to fulfill its role um, uh, nothing uh, there is a, a verse of the holy quran which says that the nothing nothing has been created in vain so whatever is on earth whatever we we can see well, has been created there is a purpose to that and every single thing has to fulfill its purpose even uh, we consider that um, uh, the waste the waste we see around us the garbage um we we have a, a lot of role of the a lot of bacteria a lot of um the other creatures which are doing their their role their their um, uh, parasites and one is dependent on the other so it's, that's how the whole cycle goes on the holy quran says he has created the heavens without any visible pillars and he has placed in the earth from mountains lest it roll beneath you and has spread therein all kinds of creatures we have sent down water from the clouds and have caused to grow therein every fine species that's from chapter 31 verse 11 pollution is an extremely large factor in wildlife depletion whether it be air or water pollution animals are still affected tremendously um as muslims uh, we can do small but very impactful things such as separate our plastic bottles very simple things sometimes can have a big effect so um separate our plastic bottles to to put it into the recycling bin reduce the amount of deforestation done without replanting trees and various other things in order to aid in the decrease in habitual destruction so some of the things are which which are done on on a bigger scale on the government scale that if the deforestation is taking place we should be responsible to replace the the plants we are taking off uh, and uh, and we should be planting more trees um the holy founder of islam prophet muhammad may peace and blessings of allah be upon him he said that there is none among the muslims who plants a, a tree or sows seed and then a bird or a person or an animal eats from it but is considered as a charitable gift for him 
So it's such a job of charity is, uh, that if you, if you plant a tree and whosoever in whatever capacity benefits out of that, um, you are going to be rewarded for that. And it's not only limited to you, but it's going to be your generations to come who will benefit out of it. So as Muslims, we should always aim to help our environment, even with the smallest gesture. As long as our intentions are pure, we will be rewarded by God Almighty. And that's what we hope and that's what we expect. Indeed, indeed. And now we will be moving to our first guest, uh, Monica Martin. Monica Martin is a nomadic minimalist and published uh, author, along with animal advocacy. She is passionate about the environment, plastic pollution, and living with less. I welcome her in the show. Peace and blessings be upon you. Thank you very much for joining us today. And thank you so much for inviting me to be on your show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. My starting off... Uh, well, the first question, uh, do you think the implementation of green spaces will help combat the decline in wildlife? You know what? For me, that answer is so much bigger than the question because mm -hmm. we need to understand, are we allocating an acre mm. or are we allocating a whole national park? Because different animals or insects or species have different requirements as do plant species. So if we're talking about dedicating an acre in our backyard, we might help, you know, some of our local bird populations or insect populations to thrive a little bit. So it is important. But we need to talk about uh, returning wildlife spaces on a larger scale so that animals like lions or elephants or <clears throat> uh, animals that require a larger habitat mm. that also helps other animals thrive because it's all a massive circle. Like a lion depends on the gazelle population and the gazelle population depends on natural fauna so it can eat, like it's a continuous circle. So the answer is, yes, it is important, but we need to make uh, bigger strides to contribute larger spaces back to nature. Uh, true. You know, how can we really protect uh, biodiversity? Okay, so biodiversity, I find, has been a term that's being tossed around a lot lately. And basically, biodiversity really just means the natural balance that um, is in an environment, whether that's a body of water, a meadow, or a forest, or even a desert. And the problem is <clears throat> we are taking so much habitat away to replace it with, let's say, Christmas tree farms, and I know you're, I'm speaking to a Muslim, <clears throat> or we're taking um, rainforests away to plant um, palm oil, and we're mm -hmm. destroying thousands of plants and insects and reptiles in the <clears throat> meantime. Um, you know, experts are predicting that we are already in the sixth extinction phase. And as people, we've only been here for 160,000 mm -hmm. years. So, so, you know what? <clears throat> How do we protect biodiversity? We need to consume less. We need to educate ourselves. And we need to make sacrifices. We can't keep taking. Indeed. Um, you know, if we move on to the um, next question, uh, the home of plants and animals are so important and uh, they have their individual responsibilities. 
please explain how we can educate others about habitat maintenance. You know what? I totally believe that education is is really the key to everything. And what I just said about biodiversity is we need to understand how the cycle of nature works, and we need to educate our younger and younger generations to be part of the solution. I have a lot of faith in the younger generation. They're extremely smart. Mm-hmm. And as, as generations, we need to start talking about consuming less goods. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Uh, you know, uh, what are small ha- habits we can implement in our daily lives in order to protect the wildlife? I think that is very important to adopt. <clears throat> Okay, so again, it goes back to educating ourselves mm. and we need to live smaller. Mm. I know you're in London. Yes. Okay, and so and, and I'm actually in Somerset right now, but I'm mm-hmm. a Canadian. Okay. So in Canada and North America, we, we leave such a massive footprint with our big homes, uh, big fuel consumption. We eat a lot. We recycle, you know, we do recycle, but we recycle very little. So we can shop secondhand, we can buy better quality versus quantity, we can create a green space in our backyard by getting rid of our lawns. Um, There's just so many things and we can also help other communities uh, per se in let's say in Africa who are struggling to make a living and try to help them create a, a sustainable life. Indeed. So living less Mm-hmm. Basically, my answer is, you know, it, it goes back to we have to consume less mm-hmm. and we have to live smaller. It doesn't mean our lives are going to be less meaningful. If anything, they'll be more meaningful and we learn to appreciate what we do have. Indeed, indeed. You know, uh, as space is so important in the progression of wildlife species, how do different species compromising their space, you know, may affect them and the environment? Okay, so... One of the prime examples I can give for that is in Yellowstone Park in the United States, mm-hmm. we wiped out um, the wolf species many, about 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. And because of that, uh, it affected the elk population. So the elk population thrived because they didn't have a natural predator. And in turn, the elk ended up eating the aspen and the willow trees, which meant that the bird population had nowhere to nest. So mm. it declined, and then it also affected the beaver population because they couldn't build dam, which affected the fish population. It's like a continuous circle. When mm. we take out one species, we harm another. Mm. Indeed, I think in God that nothing has created, you know, vain. Everything has uh, something to do on this earth, isn't it? Just one thing, Absolutely. Monica. Yeah, one thing I wanted to ask, Monica, is that you know, we we have, like, in every country, we have different atmosphere, different uh, circumstances as well, as you mentioned. You mentioned mm-hmm. about Canada, but Canada is a, like a huge, big place in, in comparison to UK. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, the, the, the value of uh, a land in London uh, in comparison to maybe Africa, you can say, mm-hmm. um, is huge. There is a huge difference. And, and in both places, people are... <clears throat> Like we have to create a balance between, uh, you know, in Africa, people who are, you know, having a wildlife, but they have to survive there as well within that within that wildlife. Whereas here we have to create space for the wildlife to to flourish or at least to survive. 
So how do we create a balance between, you know, in, in all the different parts of the world that, you know, uh, for example, in, in London, how do we create green spaces while we, uh, it is, you know, e even um, a toilet costs hundreds and thousands of uh, pounds. And you know what, I, to I totally agree with what you just said, and it's a very valid question. I actually just spent two months in uh, London, and I think it's a fabulous city, and I was one of the most amazing things in London for me was the beautiful trees you have in your parks. I was in Chiswick and um, <clears throat> Gunnersbury Park. I'm not sure if you're familiar with those two parks. Yeah. But they're so beautiful, and I agree with the cost of real estate. Uh, and it kind of goes back to what I said about living smaller. We take up a lot of space, especially in North America and Europe. Mm-hmm. When And you brought in, you know, people in Africa are trying to, you know, carve out a piece of life and they're entitled to that life. So I hate to say it, it always goes back to we have to give up something. Mm -hmm. Like those of us who have so much have to be willing to give up something to make it work for everybody because everybody has is entitled to a nice life, a quality life. And and I'm including animals in that. They're entitled to have their life too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but I think there is there are some very small steps if we can take, which is which is affecting our wildlife quite quite a bit. Uh, and small things is like we we throw plastic away, and uh, although some steps have been taken away, but but this is both in the water in in an environment as well. It has a very bad effect on the on the animal life in particular that they have suffered, and we have put some restrictions. And I think it's just awareness which we if we create the awareness among people and put them to you know recycling their things and how and how important it is not to just throw away like for example um they said that the masks we are now throwing away uh, mm -hmm. after use they are creating a lot of problems in the waters uh, when they go into the water and they are affecting the, the fish and the and the and the sea life so um every small step does does carry a value and and i think generally it's this awareness which as you mentioned earlier that educating people about how it is going to affect our planet it's uh, is is important isn't it it's it's very very important and i agree wholeheartedly with what you just said you know the small things if we can bind a whole bunch of small efforts we can make a difference and it is doable but it does kind of go back to besides creating awareness we also need to learn to be able to sacrifice yes yes we need to give up uh, yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, to gain something, everybody has to sacrifice something. You're very yeah. rightly said. Thank you very much, uh, Monica, for joining us this afternoon on this. Okay, well, Hard thank you for show. having me. I thank really you. appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Have a nice evening. You too. So, um, just looking at how the humans destroy habitats. So, when the topic of habit habitat destruction comes up, the first causative to be highlighted is uh, deforestation because we remo we remove forests because we need to we need space so despite deforestation being a huge source of wildlife depletion there are many other causes uh, like we mentioned land pollution water pollution filling in wetlands mowing fields and dredging rivers 
So let's look at the various causes of water pollution. For example, water pollution is the contamination of various water bodies. It can be caused by various things such as sewage and wastewater, plastics and oil spills. Agriculture is an essential thing for humans to survive. However, it is also destroying ecosystems. So that's where we need to look at because we can't live without agriculture. We, uh, we create whatever we eat out of agriculture. And if we are not going to do that, it, how, how are going to, we are going to survive? But at the same time, we have to keep a balance. We, we use systems where no, we are not damaging the animal life. We are not uh, destroying the natural habitats. So excess nutrients from manure or other agricultural uh, runoff raise the amount of nitrogen or phosphorus in the river, um, in the in the waters anyway. So, so basically uh, also that this manure, on one hand, uh, with the manure we are creating good crops, we are creating more food, um, easily available at a cheaper price, yet and the ill effects of, you know, you can compare the, the organic food and the, the food which is prepared with the, the modified foods as well, uh, and the use of manures, they all are going to affect the environment. They are going to affect the quality of what we are eating, the food we are eating. So these increases, they make algae bloom and all lower oxygen levels in the water. The, the increase also makes water plants grow too much. Algae blooms, lower oxygen levels, and larger plants hurt the life that lives in our water. It also harms water habitats, ruins the natural beauty, and it can prevent us from using our lakes, streams, and rivers for recreation purposes. So all that, um, it, uh, that that's how, you know, uh, the various forms of affecting uh, the habitats and habitat loss is the biggest threat to the world's wildlife. Nearly all habitat loss is driven by the expansion of agriculture. Yes, we need to eat. However, it is possible to invent safer options for farming. We chop down forests and convert wild grasslands into farmlands to grow crops and raise livestock. And this initially leads to destroyed habitats and a disrupted ecosystem. And uh, despite agriculture being very important in our daily lives, we should also aim to protect other wildlife creatures. And um, also filling in the wetlands also destroys um, habitats. Now, a short while ago, I, I watched uh, a, a movie which was like a documentary. And mm -hmm. uh, what they had created that there was a totally barren um, piece of land. Uh, it was in the United States. And uh, there were some people who were uh, interested in, in uh, you know, in creating it into a farm. And uh, so, so basically what they did was that they started living there mm -hmm. and they created the environment which is as natural as possible mm -hmm. so one thing was dependent on other <laughs> so they they as as our guest mentioned earlier that one thing is dependent on others mm -hmm. so if there are animals there are animals who are eating the other animals they are also the plants plants are eaten by by the certain animals but those grass grazing animals they are eaten up by the the predators and the predators. They are actually um, limiting their population, hmm. which is in a way protecting our forest and trees and and uh, the, the plantations. So it is a cycle, and and we have to we have to look into it. That how we can do such um, such things which which can protect 
the habitats of animals. The animals also have a right on this planet. They have been created and they have they are living on this. Uh, so we have to share. We have to mm. share the environment uh, because we are dependent on each other. And mm. if we we um, uh, sort of uh, uh, take such steps which uh, lead to extinction of certain species, it's not going to help. Indeed. And now we will be moving to our next guest, uh, Winston Lawson. Uh, Ms. Winsome Lawson is an award-winning educator and a representative of the NAPA organization. NAPA is the lead government agency with the mandate for environmental protection, natural resource management. I welcome you. Thank you very much for joining us today. Yes, thank you. Just a correction. I am a teacher of biology okay. and an environmentalist. I was involved in, the con- in, in helping to make awareness of the cockpit country through a research with Diana McCauley from Jamaica Environmental Trust. I have worked with them on several environmental projects over the years from Westwood High School. So just a correction there. So I am I am retired mm-hmm. but I'm still working doing some other things. But at home here in Manville where I live, I, I encourage and I practice environmental stuff. Yeah, yes, great, it's great. It's a pleasure being here. Yes, so I am a practical environmentalist. Thank you very much. Thank yes. you. Uh, so yes. moving on to the to our first question, uh, you know, what are some of the causatives we dismiss that is danger to habitats and the environment? Well, I I listen to you, and my my biggest thing is yes, deforestation, but. Mm. Um, you know, urbanization, um, it started deforestation for housing, for, for shopping complex. Here in Mandeville, where I grew up, on, on the earth, outskirts of Mandeville, I grew up. I'm living in town now. And I remember coming into the town and these massive trees mm-hmm. and the birds were there. And if you stay late, you see them come and the, 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 the seeds for them to feed on. But now you don't see any of that. They are replaced with, 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 with shopping plazas and mm-hmm. different things. So for me, that is a big, big problem. And, and also we dismiss it because I think here in Jamaica, we have not been in our culture. What we talk about habitat and wildlife, we think that human beings are, are superior yeah, we see ourselves as superior, and therefore we, 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 we are afraid and we get rid of some animals. For example, we have some, some, some animals that are very useful to us, our birds, our lizards, our owls, our, our toads. We call them frogs, but basically they are toads. Frogs are small and green, and we hear that they are up in the Blue Mountains. But we do not care for them, and we do not teach our children to protect them. So we destroy them, and we destroy where they live. And from small, you see small boys coming from school, and if they see a little lizard and any little thing like that, they create an excitement and they kill them. Mm. So, so it's, it, it's something that we have to start, you know, cultivating in our young children. We, we have not grown them. And so this whole, this, there's a whole lot of um positive things but you know the big spill into smaller ones so we want want to live one place to shop we need more schools we need we need a lot of things for our comfort and so that is how i think they are destroying 
the habitats and we are not caring. We don't have that care. We don't think that they should occupy a, a space on earth. But if we go back to creation, when, when God created this stuff, he created animals from, from Noah's ark. He was protecting them. A pair of every animal was there, male and female, so they could reproduce and, and we would have them. And so they are useful. They are useful for a whole lot of things in agriculture. Yeah, we must eat. But without the animals, we, 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 agriculture will not survive. Hmm. That, that, that is my take because, you know, when you look at it, you know, birds, many, many birds, you don't see them around. I see them coming to my backyard because it's quiet and I have trees there that they can come to and all of that. But they are now taking over agriculture because we have destroyed the natural habitat of birds. That is it. And so other things are, are taking over and they say they are in our crops and eating the corn and they're eating this because we have destroyed what we call woodlands. In here in Jamaica, most places, we don't say forest because we think of Blue Mountain as the forest that we have. But we have wooded area, woodlands. And I go to a primary school in Mayday where we had a vast woodlands and we used to tour there with our teachers and so. But now I, I go back and visit, they have to take away some of that to extend the school because it's no longer primary, it's no high school. So we need space. But school gardens are not there. So they want to teach children how to care for these, to show them that earthworms are important, don't kill them. They help to, to add nutrients to the size of areas. These are things that, you know, it, it, it's a reflection of a lot of stuff. And in the news, we see these things. We hear a Portland and what they do to the river. You know, we, we, we are not conscious. We are not educated, consciously educating our children. To, 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 and we have to start there because some of us as adults are, we are just, you know, stuck in our ways and saying, this is it. This is what we believe. We should cut a tree down and we are not planting. Every, every first week of October, the forestry is giving out free plants, how many adults, how many communities, how many schools make use of this opportunity. Can mm -hmm. we see them? I go back to my school now and I see, just last week I was up there, and I see the, the, the big trees that we have there, the main planted, the ring the, invited, the, 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 the almond, the cedar, you know, the puy. All these trees and all of them. They, uh, for example, lignum vitae attract butterflies. Mm -hmm. I was passing through Kingston to Devon House area there on Monday, and I see the lignum vitae trees. You can look for the butterflies, and you know these are pollinators, and we need them. So you know, it's a whole lot. I'm just so excited to be here, and you know, that is my take on it. We, 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 the housing, the land space, you know. Everything. And, and when you think of housing, you think of um, sand mining, you think of mining for limestone. So it's a big area that is destroyed. A lot of soil organisms, birds, trees have to be taken out because we're building, we're building. We don't have enough homes. We just want homes for ourselves and nothing for the, the other animals that exist. Thank you, uh, Ms. Fenzum, for a, a detailed answer. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, uh, on another uh, aspect, you know, the agriculture is such an important factor yeah. for our survival. However, the yeah. chemicals that are being used, they may lead to the destruction of these habitats. Uh, so what could be considered a solution for this issue? 
All right. Um, some solution that I personally have used at school and at home is mm-hmm. one you can, you can look at biological control. What do we mean by that? We use a plant or another animal to control a pest. For example, when you plant vegetables, simple vegetables, leafy vegetables and so, you can look at marigold. It's a very good one. We call them stinking Mary here locally. You plant it among the, the, the crops, so you, you, you have that. And it's beautiful. You have garlic. You have chili peppers. You have rosemary. You have lavender. You have nasturtium. Nasturtium is a pretty flower. with a sort of a heart-shaped leaf and... You know, it, it's very beautiful. I used to have them at school. We plant them. And so that you get, you, you, you interface them among. You do crop rotation. It will help to control your pest and your other things. You use things like, because some of these sprays and things encourage certain weeds. Neem, the neem plant is one of them. They are using it now to make sprays. But simple, even for some things. I know the persons who have large areas. They will say to me, oh, Miss Larson, that is if you have a small seed. But you can do that. You have the greenhouse technology for agriculture. Some of us who have, you know, these big agriculturists who have studied at colleges and so, they can int- go into this greenhouse technology. It will help. You will produce vast quantities. You will not have the need for so much of the sprays and all of that. You have also... The, 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 the natural compost, the, the cow manure, the goat, the rabbit, the chickens. Cow is very good with the nitrogen for the leafy vegetables, lettuce, pak choy, all those things. So you could have that. For your fruit-bearing trees, you have fully decomposed chicken manure, rabbit, goat. You can use that, you know. So, so all these things are very, very important. To, for example, peas and beans, growing these legumes. Very important to soil nutrients. We don't need fertilizer. We don't need sprays. Because these, these bee, peas and beans, they, 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 they fix nitrogen in the root nodules. They have root nodules and nodules and the they, they, they nitrogen fixing bacteria now will, will transform the nitrogen, atmospheric nitrogen into nitrates, which is very important for the plants. So these are some things that I think we can look at and we can implement them. They are not difficult. You don't need any degree to do that. You just need a simple understanding. We need to produce more worms for the soil. And we need to teach our children that worms are important. We shouldn't kill the earthworms. They are very valuable to the soil to aerate it. And when they die, they add nutrients to the soil. It's very, very important. But those are some other things. And it helps with drainage, with composting, you know, humus, humus, adding humus to the soil, all these things. And plant trees, when we have certain trees, if we border our field and we use the leaves from it and that will help, we can dig a hole, add other things from it. For example, in St. Elizabeth, every time when they have these this holy crops, tomato and melon and those things going to waste, they could have a big composting thing down there with those rotten thick fruits and vegetables rather than just throwing them away and you hear on the news that they lost their money. They could know start something down there where they use that to make this, you know, good fertilizer and all of that for the plants. That, 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 that is my take. And we have also some little friendly insects like the ladybird that the one with a red back on it, very beautiful. It's a friendly one that you can use 
that it will help um, like the stem borers and other pests. It will eat the eggs. One of those little ladybird bugs can eat at least 60 of these eggs in a day. They also eat the aphids and spider mites that attack some of our leafy vegetables that we plant. So it's very important that we look at these things, natural stuff that we can use to repel these things that are pests to us. That's my take on it. Okay, that's great. Um, coming from agriculture, from plants to animals, you know, the animal rights have been set by the government and is sometimes yes. <coughs> disregarded by the community. So, um, in your opinion, what steps should be made to properly educate and involve the community on the journey to protect wildlife habitats? Well, for me, I think it is a lack of knowledge, you know. Go back again. We need education. We need funding for these things. Because when I was involved in the Jamaica Environmental Trust projects, they needed funding. I don't think they are continuing with it because of funding. We need private sector funding. So like, just like how we have a neighborhood watch here in my community, Manville, when we go to these meetings, town hall meetings, community churches, churches are now looking, doing, some churches are doing environmental thing. In the Baptist church, they have youth things, they have environmental competition. So you begin to sensitize spirit, um, sensitize young people about, you know, why we need these animals, why they are important, why they should live why they should occupy their special space here on this earth. So it, it needs a lot. We can also look at our literature in schools, starting from the basic school. Like if we, 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 we teaching concepts, we have more animals, especially those that, as I tell you, fear is one other thing why we don't regard animals as having rights. We don't know that we, we are more occupied with with living our life, getting food and money to do this, educating ourselves, having our children educated, rather than looking at animal rights. We are looking at our rights. <laughs> so I think, I think that is something that we can look at at, at all levels. You know? Okay, so just, just uh, one last question uh, before you go. We would like to ask you is, you know, you mentioned about uh, the plants, how you can keep to, uh, you know, at home, how you can um, uh, do things. What about uh, to protect the wildlife habitats? Uh, what, what things can you do at home just to save uh, and help restore wildlife habitat at home? Do you have any ideas? Yes, for example... Um at home here, I used to live with my aunt, and she, she died at 93. And in her 90s, I used to come home in the evening, she had a certain time, and she put out birds, she just threw out the feed for the birds. And I don't know where these birds are, but they always come. Mm -hmm. And you see so many different birds. The, the quits, the, the black birds, the egrets, all sorts of birds would come to the back of our house to get something. So we could, we could set up bird feeding things at home, to encourage birds to come. We should, we should desist from buying cage birds. Birds should be free to roam, right? Yeah. We should look at, we should look at um, for example, if you, how we use um, sprays, we can, we can make our own things for roaches with, 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 with baking soda and milk and different things. Somebody told me of a spray that I use on my peppers that, with, with you take some of this patch bunny pepper, blend it with cooking oil, 
and put a little soap in it, put it in a spray bottle and use it instead. Because one of the things why we don't see toads around sometimes, they are very sensitive to these sprays. So in our homes, we can cut back on the, the things that we use for spring. Baking soda is a good thing that we can use in our homes rather than buying certain chemicals. So if we look at the chemicals we buy for household chores and cut back on these that, that carries the things that this that will cause ward off some of these these things and destroy plants. We should look at at how we growing some of the things that we call wild plants, you know. Because wildlife include both flora and fauna. So we, we plant fruit trees that will encourage birds because apple tree will be probably five hundred or more. I have one at the back you now looking over next door and it's a quite a lot of apples and a lot of birds have been coming way up the top. They will eat that. We we share the the fruits with the birds. So we plant more fruit trees. For example, if you have big trees in the night you may see owls. We are afraid of owls because you know, we, we have certain things associated with them. We plant our own backyard garden, and then we, you, you know, we, we can employ some of these things. And, and, and some people who are in business, and who are the, you know, within your home you have business people, you encourage your children. We, we set up our business in a way that we, we encourage them with, 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 with taking them, like, to, to trips, you know, certain trips, field trips, taking our children out rather than taking them to, to, to on a plane to the United States to go to Disney World. Nothing is wrong with it. But take them out and, and, and take them into these areas where, you, you know, you go to the zoos, you go to the different parks and you show them. So educating at the, at the home level, family, family trips going out. Even, even some of our weddings can be held outside of a building in gardens and the beauty of it, so we begin to sensitize others about, you know, why we need all these trees, why we need birds, why we need, you know, the bigger animals that are there. I think that those are some of the things that we can do, you know. And, and also, as I said, education, books. Buy books for our children that have animals and plants, coloring books, reading books, activity books other than just, re- just restricted to just biology book at the higher level. I think that is even, even T-shirts and all of those. I had shirts that said protect the environment, care for me, birds, and other animals. So we, there are a lot of things that we could do. In a nutshell, I think that, that's what I think. That's brilliant. Thank you very much uh, for a very uh, eloquent yes. and detailed answers to our questions. Thanks for joining yes. us on our Drive Time show. I hope that we will see you again sometimes. Thank you for joining yes. us. Have a nice evening. My pleasure. You're welcome. Have a good day. So that was uh, Miss Winken, Winsome Lawson. Um, she is a edu- she is an educator and a representative of the NEPA. As she mentioned, that she is retired now and she is um, doing uh, her own things. Uh, but of course, while she is doing that, she is helping with the environment and protecting the wildlife uh, as well as the plantation as well. She's interested in the plants as well. And everyone, I think, has to play his own uh, his or her role. And some people are interesting and interested more in in uh, gardening. Others are not. Um, they they find it difficult. But the mm. um, you know even our own uh, uh, gardens, we we should uh, look after that. And uh, um, and I think we we can also look after the environment, the uh, wildlife we have. 
as regards the birds and um, they, they are they are nice to see and and we can give them a certain protection so that you know you, we we can enjoy them being our neighbors so all of these things we have listened to today i think every individual has to um look and and wherever he is in whatever country whatever atmosphere whatever environment he has to play his his role and uh, all around the world if we see at the different countries the different species all around the world are declining for various reasons and whether it be climate change heat waves and other factors such as deforestation um the natural history museum here in the uk the, it, it has reported that overall 41% of species have declined and of these 26% of mammals are at risk of extinction and 22% of the bird species have declined and even some animals have uh, fared badly so uh, hedgehogs and turtle doves they have declined by 95% and 98% respectively um in um, uh, as a lady who was um, you know talking of jamaica in um, this small caribbean uh, island of jamaica birds such as the lateralus jamaicanensis and the national bird troclus polytmus also known as the humming or doctor birds they have also uh, declined their population has declined the jamaican iguana is critically endangered and the national environment and planning agency which is called nipa and other partner agencies have taken several approaches to increase the local population so this uh, although individual steps have been taken but i think it has to be more generalized and as uh, our guest mentioned that we do require funding for such uh, you know uh, projects which are taken forward if they are taken on a on a national level with all the different countries then we are more likely to be successful but every individual um, uh, has to play a role and they can do um, small things to protect wildlife So how can we protect wildlife? You know, <clears throat> with all the uh, countries facing reduction in the wildlife species, the real question is, as you said, what can we do to protect them? There are many ways to protect wildlife, including recycling and consuming less. And we are trying, you know, to more and more eco-friendly alternatives and uh, reusing the plastic containers we already have at home instead of throwing them out. And uh, we can... protect wildlife in the smallest ways including cutting the strings off our disposal marks when disposing them off the article you know uh, published by nationalgeographic.com environmental article how to stop disc- discarded face masks from polluting the planet talks about the increase in mask pollution since the start of the pandemic This article highlights uh, how incorrectly disposing of the face mask can be detrimental to ocean life and how it has already started affecting wildlife on land and sea. And uh, you know there are various things we can do in order to protect wildlife namely disposing of our garbage properly, reducing how much we destroy forests and improving our planting skills. And we can also start by educating ourselves about the various endangered species and what we can do in order to protect them however there are way more other things we can do in order to provide uh, you know wildlife creatures a proper place to live and it is very necessary that we start you know thinking about these things and thinking about how we can protect wildlife as you know 
each of us is dependent on each other. There are so you must have heard our guest. You must have heard the discussion in the beginning that the you know destruction of uh, deforesting or you know just deforesting and cutting the trees and uh, making buildings there and not taking care of the you know um, habitats. It is it's making a huge difference. It's you know destroying the nature. So it is very important to ponder over it and change our lifestyle and start you know start the ways through which we can provide uh, you know protect wildlife you see um, i would like to mention here that, you know our headquarters in pakistan mm. uh, rabwa when initially you know the, this this land was uh, uh, sort of purchased by mm. um, by our second caliph hazrat mirza bashiruddin mahmud ahmed may allah be pleased with him mm. he has taken so many steps to organize and make the building sort of foundations of the Jamaat. And um, so one of the major steps he took was that, you know, obviously after uh, the Pakistan uh, was, uh, you know, made out of India and, and uh, uh, we had to um, move into Pakistan. And so he purchased this land. Oh. And there is there was a report about this land uh, in the, uh, obviously the, the English, they had uh, done the surveys and in this survey report, it was mentioned that not a single blade of grass can grow on this land. Indeed. So, uh, by the grace of Allah, and it is also the uh, awareness of our leaders, our spiritual leaders, the caliphs, that they have continu continuously worked on it. The water was uh, sour. It was not able to, uh, uh, to uh, sort of cultivate this land. Uh, but then with the prayers that the water some, at some particular places, when the water was uh, taken out from the ground, mm. um, it was sweet water, it was uh, uh, usable water. Mm. So that's how this uh, town was uh, established. And now, you know, recently I visited um, uh, um, our headquarters in Dubai and, and you can see from uh, Daru Ziafat, which is our guest house where... Mm. Uh, um, I I, t I took a view and I take a photograph as well. It was like all green. You could you could practically see that there are so many trees and they were covering all the area. So it is individual effort that you have to be aware of it. You have to be um, take the responsibility. Yes, that's because our, if our, our spiritual leader said that, yes, you have to work on it. You have to make it beautiful. You have to um, help the plant uh, growth. And uh, our um, uh, our community as a whole is also involved in the tree plantation. And we've got various projects going on here in the UK as well. Mm. Um, so all these things, uh, um, not not only you know, as a Muslim. Uh, as a human being, we are responsible to. We are living in this on this earth, uh, in the planet Earth, and we have to um, um, shoulder our responsibility. But as a Muslims, it becomes more of our duty that we protect mankind, we protect Allah's creation. We should always aim to maintain a peaceful environment, not only for humans but also for animals, because they play a vital role in our ecosystems. As humans, we may even be causing more damage than helping with this issue. And <laughs> uh, the UK government has in introduced a new green space project in order to increase the deterioration of wildlife creatures. Let's see how successful it is, but it also depends on how, how, what role we do play in this and how we can protect the environment. We can not solely depend on the government to fix all the environmental issues we face. Surely we will have to make daily changes in order to make things environmentally 
friendly. So this was uh, the topic today uh, about the wildlife, and I think we have discussed uh, with our guests as well and uh, uh, and highlighted the issues just to make people aware, our listeners mm, aware of that these are the the real. Uh, problem we are facing and uh, we jointly have to address the issue and uh, play our role indeed uh, after you know we have already covered the topic in the second hour we'll be discussing as we mentioned in the beginning we'll be discussing ramazan approaching in a month and uh, we will be having some guests who will be discussing the topic in depth and uh, <clears throat> you can also you know contact us uh, through the phone you can call us on 02086877878 and you can also tweet on at voice of islam uk and you can email us as well on www.voiceofislam.co.uk and uh, you know you can, please do join us after the news break and uh, we'll be discussing the topic of uh, Ramadan and uh, we'll be you know uh, covering the blessings of Ramadan please join us after the 5 o'clock news break You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessing for Allah be upon all of our listeners. Welcome back once again in Drive Time Show. You're listening to Anik Rahman and I'm joined by Dr. Tariq Bajwa here in the London studio of Voice of Islam. In the first hour, we'll be discussing <clears throat> the wildlife, and uh, as I mentioned, that we'll be discussing in the second hour regarding Ramadan, which is around the corner. Ramadan is a month of fasting, described by God Almighty and commanded by God Almighty for all the Muslims to keep fast in the month of Ramadan, apart from those who are <clears throat> traveling or they are ill. We will be discussing this topic in depth, what does Ramadan means, fasting in world religions, and we will be discussing what exactly Muslims do in fasting and components of a month of Ramadan, you know, praying, worshipping God Almighty, waking up in the morning, eating the meal, at night offering, you know, Taravi prayer, it's uh, the voluntarily prayer. And we'll be discussing that what Muslims do in a day when they are fasting. And we'll be also discussing, as I mentioned earlier, is fasting compulsory during Ramadan for everybody? And what are the benefits of fasting? So please be with us and we'll be discussing this very interesting topic uh, of Ramadan. And uh, I will begin with Dr. Tariq Bajwa, if you'd like to say about this. You see, um, thank you. Um, it's, uh, Islam is a very um, practical religion. And uh, if we look at the obligations, you know, we've got five fundamentals of Islam. Mm. And the first one is, of course, that you convert to Islam, that when you agree, when you submit 
to the uh, uh, to believing in the existence of uh, one God and uh, his prophet, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessing of Allah be upon him. And after that, we got like four obligations. And uh, the, the, the second one, which is called uh, Salat, Salat is the prayers. Mm. And uh, if you look at prayers, the prayers uh, are obligatory five times a day. And some people may, you know, they, they think, oh, you know, what are you doing the whole day? You know, every every hour or so you, you are going for prayers. Mm. The thing is that Islam has made such an arrangement that with, with the time as we pass away from God Almighty, because Islam is to believe in God Almighty and to fall in love with God Almighty and to do what he pleases with. So when he says that you come to me, and you worship me and you pray to me and I will listen to your prayers. I will uh, respond to your prayers. I will give you what you require, what you ask for. So every uh, a few hours, you know, it turns, it takes us back to God Almighty so that we turn to him and we uh, cleanse ourselves within the period with that we have got some dust on us. We have got some um, uh, contamination uh, of the world. Then it is to purify ourselves within that period. So once a week, then we have a Friday prayers. Mm. The Friday prayers is, is, is that on a on a um, uh, Zuhur time, which is the you know the, the afternoon, mm. um, we uh, also have a Friday sermon in which our uh, Imam or leader he also um, gives us some advice um, and talks about the um, the teachings of the Holy Quran, the teachings of the the Holy Prophet of Islam. So you are again polished and you are you know every every week you get that chance but then one arrangement which mm. is for the whole year that you you get rested you get over the time you get some contamination you mm. get uh, uh, dusty and you have to purify you have to clean yourself and for that islam has made this arrangement that you, you in addition to your prayers you go and you leave some of the things which are halal means they are allowed they mm. are Technically, that you are allowed your food. There are certain things which are forbidden in Islam, mm. but but here in fasting, you are you also uh, you uh, you have uh, taken away the things from yourself voluntarily, the things which are allowed. absolutely allowed for mm. you, and they are halal and tayyab, but they are just to obey God Almighty just in obedience and showing that obedience that okay uh, we know that you have uh, allowed us these things but we will take it away uh, we, we won't have it within this period which you have told us that from dawn to dusk uh, up to the sunset mm. you know one and a half hours before uh, sunrise and up to uh, the sunset during this period you don't take anything so this is called uh, fasting uh, which is also called ramadan month of ramadan which is for the obligatory fasting for the Muslims. Of course, you know, the fasting, it's the, you know, way to clean uh, your soul and, uh, you know, to, to increase your spirituality and, uh, and of course, help physically as well. And one of the night, particularly in the month of Ramadan, it's the night of decree where God Almighty says, if you find that night, if you, you know, pray to me and you're all... You know, you you change your life will change, and uh, you all previous sins will be forgiven. Because when a person is praying and worshiping, you know, day and night, and he brings a true change, and he finds that night, and uh, you know, God is, is you know, speaks with him, 
then ultimately the life of that person changed and that's you know a special light uh, which we'll be discussing uh, you know in today's show we will go to our first guest right now which we, which we have with us uh, imam uh, ijaz ahmed from fulda germany i welcome him in the show assalamu alaikum peace be upon you thank you very much imam ijaz for joining us today wa alaikum assalam to start off as just mentioned regarding <coughs> the night of decree lailatul qadr what is the significance of the lailatul qadr and how one can recognize it jazakallah sir for the question um for those who don't know about this word lailatul qadr um lail means in arabic night and qadr means destiny or decree so lailatul qadr means the night of of destiny Mm-hmm. And there's a whole chapter in the Holy Quran about this Laylatul Qadr, and the name of this chapter is Surah Al Qadr too. So I will just read the translation of these verses of the chapter 97, chapter Al Qadr. So after that, some things will be clear. Um, in the name of Allah, the Gracious, the Merciful, surely we send it down on the night of destiny. And what should make thee know what the night of destiny is? The night of destiny is better than a thousand months. Therein, the sent angels and the spirit by the command of their Lord, with every matter, it is all peace till the rising of the dawn. So, it is clear, it's a night, and this night is better than a thousand months. Now, the question is, when is this night, or when will be this, this night? And the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Uh, once said um, look for lad qadr on the old numbered nights during the last 10 nights of ramadan so the holy prophet peace be upon him said that it's in ramadan in the last 10 nights and the old numbered nights during the last 10 nights therefore it may fall on the 21 20, uh, 23rd 25th 27th or 29th of Ramadan and the Holy Prophet peace be upon him said about the importance of the Laylatul Qadr he said whoever stands for the prayers in Laylatul Qadr the night of destiny out of faith and hoping for rewards from Allah all their previous sins will be forgiven so that that is the, the importance of of Laylatul Qadr and the question how someone can recognize laylatul qadr um the answer is to this question is narrated in in some ahadith mm-hmm. that there are some flashes of light uh, the wind blows and there is a slight grizzle uh, a light can be seen either going to or coming from the heavens um however a sign is not necessary some people has been experienced that it often does in this way and the last sign of seeing light has been experienced by by the writer but this is a vision not a not a physical sign that uh, can be seen by by everyone so the right way is that a believer a muslim a mu'min prays to god for ramadan and fasts with sincerity then inshallah allah almighty shows the night of of destiny Uh, upon him in one way or another this is a very short answer but 
I hope I could clarify the, the importance of uh, the night of, of destiny. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, Imam Ijaz, if we move on to one another very important, uh, you know, uh, practice which we do in especially in Ramadan, it is uh, called Taravi prayer. Of course, um, you know, it's uh, if some people offer Tahajjud, some people offer Taravi. Could you please uh, explain to our listeners what Taravi prayers means and what role it plays during the month of Ramadan? Zakla. Um, as you already mentioned, the, the Taravi prayer is a special prayer during mm. the holy month of Ramadan. Mm. And it has to be performed each night during the month of Ramadan. And it is in fact offered at the Hajjah time. But the beginning of, of Taravi prayer after the Isha prayers was allowed during the Khilafat of Umar Islam, the second caliph, to enable such people who for unavoidable reason could not perform Taravi uh, prayer at the hundredth time in the in the pre-dawn hours to still offer this prayer. However, it is uh, better to offer this prayer at, at the hundredth time. And uh, hadith to support this interpretation can be found in, in Sayyid Muslim. It is narrated by Abu Huraira that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said, Whoever prayed at night the whole month of Ramadan out of faith and hoping for a reward from Allah, then all his previous sins will be forgiven. And it is important to note that if the Ravi prayer is offered after Isha prayer, then Muslims should still try to offer the, the Hajjit prayer as well. As that is the permanent Sunnah of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, not only just in, in the month of Ramadan, but for the whole year. So generally the, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, used to offer eight rakats for the Hajjit prayer. So the same applies to, to the, uh, the uh, Taravi prayer. So all in all, the, the Taravi prayer is, is a, a special prayer during the holy month of Ramadan. Thank you very much, uh, Imam Jaz, for giving uh, the inside, the true inside of uh, Taravi prayer, which is special prayer in the month of Ramadan. To move on to, you know, our holy master, uh, Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and Allah be upon him. What was the practice of him regarding the sighting of moon for Ramadan and how can we apply this during this day and age? And, you know, it's very sometimes gets... Uh, uh, a hot topic where <clears throat> there are different sects are starting Ramadan on different days mm-hmm. but the teaching is one and everybody is under- has a different understanding uh, can you please elaborate this okay. um, first of all some people ask uh, why we are using a, a lunar calendar not a solar calendar mm-hmm. So, but we Muslims know that every command of Allah has, has a hikmat has a uh, wisdom so the lunar calendar is about 10 or 11 days shorter than the solar calendar. That means the Muslims mm-hmm. fast sometimes in the summer where the day is where the daytime is very long, but sometimes in, in winter where about five, 4 or 5 p.m. is the sunset. So and at the same time, the Hajj to Mecca is sometimes in summer and sometimes in winter. So Allah invented for us the, the lunar calendar, so it is easier uh, for us. And now back to the to the question 
on calculating the month of Ramadan. Um, the fourth caliph of uh, our community said in the commentary of Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse uh, 185, he said, in the words shahida and shahra mean whoever sees the moon of Ramadan rise, meaning that for whomever the moon of Ramadan rises, he should fast. So the standard of, of moon sighting we use in, is according to the visibility of the moon with the naked eye, as was done by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And the method of sighting is done by a combination of calculating and, and actual moon sighting, and as was done by our master, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And if the moon is calculated to be visible with the naked eye, then we recognize that that as the first day of, of the lunar month for the areas within that horizon. So if the moon is calculated to be difficult to find out optical aid or and there's a low probability of sighting with the naked eye, then we rely on actual moon sightings to find out the first day uh, of the lunar months for that horizon, and that make our uh, determination according to the principles of the Holy Quran and Ahadith. So it's it's a little bit complicated, a little bit difficult, but it's very important to understand. Um, thank you, Imam. Just one thing I would like to you know add and would like to ask you as well if you can easily answer that. Well, you know when we. When we're living in the countries, especially UK or Europe or other countries where we can't see moon, and uh, we have calendars where showing that when the Ramadan is starting beforehand, would you be able to you know elaborate a bit more that you know you just mentioned the verse of the Holy Quran and the Hadith, what is how one should be you know uh, starting the Ramadan, but on the other hand. We have the calendars and uh, why we do it uh, just to for our listeners because you know um, science made it easier for us but if you can elaborate a bit more please for example i, I, live, I live in germany and uh, if the moon is uh, if, if we saw the moon in, in in the north of germany but not not in the south mm-hmm. we will uh, according to this uh, this uh, moon sighting in the north we will Start the, the month, the lunar month, exactly like like the like the um, um, in the land where we live, in the country where we live. So sometimes it's true. Sometimes it's, uh, we can we can't see the the, the moon because uh, of uh, some clouds and uh, you know some clouds and mm-hmm. so yeah something like that. But we should first of all we should try to. Look, okay, where in mm. this country where I live, yeah, where can I see the the the, um, the moon? And if for I don't know why, but if there are the whole country just just clouds and uh, you can't see the the uh, the moon, then we can rely on this this uh, optical aid or 
Uh, think, uh, this, this situation more comes on UK more than I think Germany. Germany probably gets in a yeah. cleaner uh, sky yes. and they can easily see uh, moon. But I think in the UK, <laughs> you have to rely on uh, these uh, signs. Of course, you can't say that they are wrong because we day use them on daily lives and we check our weathers. We you know yes, arrange our namaz, the prayer timings accordingly as well. So. Yes, fine. Thank you. You know, moving on to next question. If you could just explain about itikaf, what does it mean, and uh, what are the rewards of itikaf, and when uh, you know people basically sit for itikaf? Um, yeah, the definition of the word itikaf is uh, to isolate or remain attached to to something, mm-hmm. and the last ten days of the month of Ramadan, having completed. 20 days of fasting in the month of Ramadan, you know, a, a believer feels a sense of, of achievement uh, towards the attaining of God's pleasure. And therefore, he wishes to complete the remaining 10 days with greater, greater prayers. And as Aisha Islana reports that, that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, used to observe the calf in the last 10 days of Ramadan until he died. Then his wives used to observe itikaf after he passed away. And this period of regret of the last 10 days of Ramadan is known as itikaf and is devoted to silent meditation, recitation of, or study uh, of religious books, especially the, the Holy Quran, prayers and supplication. And the ideal and a preferred place to observe Takaf is, is a Jami Mosque. A Jami Mosque is a central mosque uh, in which Juma prayers are held so that one may offer the five daily prayers and may at- attend Juma without having to leave the mosque. And regarding the rewards of, of Takaf, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said about the blessings of, of Takaf, he said, uh, who's engaged in itikaf is protected from every sin and also earns the rewards of righteous deeds which were being done prior to itikaf as if they are still being done. And in another hadith, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said, one who do itikaf in true faith and hope for the re- uh, reward of Allah shall have, have all of his previous sins forgiven. And as I already talked about uh, the night of destiny, mm-hmm. during the during the last 10 days of Ramadan, everyone, but especially those who are doing Etikaf, should seek for the night of, uh, of destiny. So that is the meaning and importance of, of Etikaf. Thank you very much, uh, Imam Mijaz, for joining us for Fulla and uh, giving us uh, you know, true insight of the question I've asked. Thank you very much once again and have a nice evening. <laughs> to going back to the main topic, uh, of course, there was a main topic anyway, but uh, to start off once again from Ramadan. You know, the Ramadan is, is derived from the Arabic word Rams which means intensely hot or burning. The month of Ramadan is named as such for three reasons. One who fasts becomes hot due to the thirst. Second is worship and devotion in this month burns away 
the trace of sin. And third is devotion in this month produces the necessary warmth of love in man for his creator and fellow beings. So when a person truly, you know, celebrates Ramadan, and I understand it's a month of practice where that when and once again God provides him a chance to change himself, to, you know, burn down his sin and feel, you know, uh, when they're thirsty, they feel other than how they are, you know, uh, uh, feeling when they don't have enough food. And the major thing is to, you know, purify his self and purify his soul and connect with God Almighty and create a love and, you know, do such acts and bring a true change within him so he can, you know, be loved by God Almighty. In regarding to Ramadan, you know, the Holy Quran says that the month of Ramadan is that in which the Quran was sent down as guidance for mankind with clear proofs of guidance and discrimination. Therefore, whosoever of you is present at home in this month, let him fast therein. But who is as sick or is on a journey shall fast the same number of other days. Allah desires to give you facility and he desires not hardship for you and that you may complete the number and that you may exalt, exalt Allah, Allah for his having guided you and that you may be grateful. So the blessings of the month itself can be understood by the saying of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, so that when the month of Ramadan enters, the gates of heaven are flung open and the gates of hell are shut and Satans are chained. So basically in the month of Ramadan, we find, you know, opportunities more than ever the environment we get in the month of Ramadan, it inclines us towards mosques, towards God Almighty, to worship, to sacrifice, to, to charities, and live our life, you know, such a life which God Almighty wanted us to live and bring a true change. And that's what this means, that the doors or the gates of heaven are open. The doing the good deeds are much easier than before because everybody is inclined towards it, everybody is encouraging you and helping each other out and you see that everybody is doing it then, you know, a person who is weak, he himself, you know, get a chance and, you know, he get encouragement that I should be doing this as well and then he joined them and it gives, gives, gives him a chance to, to do or, you know, to uh, do such a good deed so, that, so he can, you know, enter heaven and of course, by worshipping God Almighty and, you know, celebrating Ramadan in true manner and forgives his sins by God Almighty and then ultimately he enters the heaven. So the month of Ramadan is a month of blessings and we'll be discussing this further on. I would like to ask if Dr. Tariq would like to mention in this regard. Um, <clears throat> um, I was saying earlier that Ramadan is a special <coughs> month and is a blessing from God Almighty in which... Uh, God Almighty has given a chance to everyone that, one, he can purify himself, he can ask forgiveness for his sins, but also um, the special thing about Ramadan is that not only that you purify yourself as in prayers, but in this month God Almighty gives us the opportunity, and he has mentioned that in the Holy Quran, that, uh, you know, when you pray to me, I respond to your prayers. Now, so this it means that it is a means of having communication with God Almighty. Almighty. So you have a special connection, 
and you are given in this month a special opportunity and that to connect with God Almighty. And this connection could be through, uh, it could be through true dreams you see from God Almighty, it could be through um, the vision you have, it, can, it could be through revelation you have. And this revelation, again, it could be visual, it could be auditory that you hear uh, from God Almighty. And, and that's why you, you see that the Holy Quran itself was revealed in the month of the Holy uh, of uh, Ramadan. And not only that, it was once revealed, it started uh, being revealed in the month of Ramadan, but every, um, every year uh, in the month of Ramadan, um, uh, the angel, um, uh, Archangel Jib uh, Gabriel, uh, used to come and recite all the portion of the Holy Quran which had been revealed up till then and he would recite it to the Holy Quran and, and repeat it and uh, so so this is a special thing about the Ramadan that you get the opportunity and that's why God Almighty says that you know for every good deed there is a reward mm. but the special thing about fasting is because you are doing it for the sake of Allah mm. um, then Allah himself says I am the reward for I'm that reward, yes. and that is why Allah shows you mm. with showing that connection that he has listened to you either with a true dream or with a vision or a um, revelation in, the, in, in that form so you will see that most of the people they experience uh, this connection with God Almighty more in this particular month and that's why people are looking for this Lalatul Qadr because there, are, there is a likelihood that you will get that connection during this uh, night with God Almighty and, and that is such a player that uh, you know that is beyond the whole life you know that is better than 1000 nights that means that better than mm -hmm. your whole life so, so that is why Ramadan is important that you get this special opportunity from God Almighty that you can get closer to him. He listens to your prayers and uh, um, and uh, that is what is the purpose of your life, basically. You know, sometimes uh, people ask that we don't, uh, you know, we didn't see, we didn't have any dream or no revelation. Uh, how we can understand or find out that our Ramazan has been accepted or the prayers have been accepted. As a Khalifa the Musid IV have answered this, you know, if you, you know, feel a true change within yourself and all the bad habits you were doing, you have, uh, you know, uh, everything is clean. You know, you are start doing good habits. You are to start offering prayer. You start doing, you know, you start living your life according to the Holy Quran. That means God has listened to your prayers. God has you changed you. Yes. Yeah. So you know, it's there are ways, as Doctor Tariq mentioned, that you see the dream and you if you know you see revelation that God shows signs. But if you feel a true change within yourself. That's a bigger sign. So you can bigger sign, bigger sign. You can see uh, within yourself that God has listened to your prayers. Now we'll, uh, I will move to our second guest, Anam Islam from Norway. Uh, she's a lawyer and associate to the president of Lajna Imaila Norway. I would like to welcome her in the show. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and thank you very much for joining us today. Waalaikumsalam, for having me. Uh, Moving on to uh, the first uh, you know, question we have. Living in Norway, where days become very long during summer months, how do you keep fast during that month or that time? Um, truth be told, you sort of just do it. Um, towards the end of every Ramadan spent in the long summer months, I often try to reflect on what it was that made that month bearable. I won't say it was easy, obviously, mm. striving on the way on the path to a license is not an easy path but it is always bearable um and um, 
I have yet to pinpoint one or two worldly things that really made it for me or like a worldly way of describing it. Um, and the honest answer is that it's God's doing. Um, I truly believe that Allah the Almighty blesses people with the strength they need to move forward in their worship to him, whether it's fasting in countries where the sun barely sets or whether it's praying mm. in under harsh conditions uh, or living in a, an area where, where you're oppressed, for instance. God himself gives us the ability to to get to our goal. Other than that, I would say it's just about being mindful in regards to during the summer months, obviously, it's also very warm outside, it's very sunny, sort of keeping ourselves cool, taking multiple showers a day properly, uh, trying to focus on on um, in, in, on the acts of worship, like reading the Quran, um, pray, doing as many uh, additional prayers as possible, um, and just spending time doing any other uh, religious work for the mosque or, or visit the mosque or just really focus on, on God, basically, and remind yourself why you're doing it. And also, I've, I've noticed more and more that one argument that my, my parents used to use when I was a kid, and I know it's, it's, a many argu- it's an argument used by many other families uh, when they teach their children, children about the concept of fasting. Obviously, we also do it to remind ourselves how it is to live in poverty. Um, we I, just compare yourself to those people that live in more harsh conditions than you. At least you have a meal to look forward to at 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. as the fast has been here as well. Um, but some people won't have any meal to look forward to. So we try to remind ourselves about those things and sort of just push through like a like you would do in a gym when you're doing like a very tough set, for instance, or a very long marathon. Mm-hmm. So it's basically the same concept. Please carry on. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that, that's um, yeah. I would okay. say that's that's basically it. Okay, yeah. that's fine. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, just to understand more, uh, I think there are some areas where you know there's sunset and again there's sunrise mm-hmm. as well. So, mm-hmm. is there any particular uh, you know um, understanding or what you do for Ramadan for the, for the, that particular area? Whether they have a certain time they keep fast for or yeah. how they do how do they do it? Yeah, absolutely. We have for the northernmost um, um, part of Norway, the sun never sets during the summer months. Mm-hmm. So they've uh, the the rule that they follow up there is is to to um, follow the the uh, Salat calendar or the prayer calendar for the closest Muslim country or the closest city where a Mus- with a Muslim um, center basically. And mm-hmm. so they all of them follow the the calendar in Oslo. And this was actually something the Ahmadiyya Muslim community also did in general here in Norway, mm-hmm. um, where we when the fast was to the point where we had um, it, you had suhoor at at one thirty two a.m. and you weren't it wasn't iftar until like eleven thirty p.m. Mm-hmm. almost close to midnight. Mm-hmm. We uh, sought guidance with. Um, with Hazur and and uh, asked him what can be done in those situations and he advised us on how Islam also provides uh, ease and logic in these kind of situations and and uh, helped us in calculating a maximum uh, amount of hours that we could fast so we we then applied that ruling to to the fast during those months as well and that's the same kind of, of um, logic that is used up in north um, by all Muslim groups actually not just the Ahmadiyya Muslim community but mm-hmm. all Muslim groups up there and use the same kind of uh, rules and regulations um, to to adjust the, the calendar accordingly. Okay, perfect. Mm. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, you know, some sects of Muslims uh, encourage very young children to fast. 
how uh, to best explain that younger children should not fast or there's a certain age where they should start fasting and you know the, and what you know the true explanation that uh, when should they should start and they should mm-hmm. not be forced to you know start mm-hmm. at a very young age yeah so this is this is a a yearly dis- annual discussion that i've i've seen uh, take place both mm. for children and sick people even like i have a neighbor uh, who's extremely ill mm. but and she has a has an oxygen machine that she carries around all the time but she fasts Okay. And uh, my mom has been in a, a severe discussion with her every single year that you do know that this is just making you worse and mm. you're only angering God when he has given you the choice to, mm. uh, when he has set, told you that you don't need to fast. Mm. Actually, what people forget in these situations, and the same goes to children. I remember here when I went to school and I was in class with people from the, the Sunni Muslim sect and the Shia Muslim sect. Um, they kids down to six years old, uh, even five year olds in kindergarten would fast, and mm-hmm. I wouldn't. And I remember I used to get angry at my parents for it because I thought maybe I was doing something wrong because the other kids would bully me. And I would always, all, very often come not eat my lunch because I would get ashamed that maybe I was doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. But then they would explain to me that the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu has has given us very specific uh, guidance on this uh, regarding who is exempted from fasting and who can fast. And children is one group that has been exempted. And the reason is because your body is is very still um, growing up. You're, you need n- nutrition in a different way. You need uh, certain things, and you're you're in a certain part um, you're in a certain part of your development where fasting can actually harm your development. And also, it's a commandment from God first and foremost. That's the only thing. It's a commandment from God that you're not supposed to fast when you're a young child, or you're ill, or you're pregnant. Um, and if you don't follow that command, and you still continue to fast, then you're basically going against something God has said. Uh, so how can you expect to receive any blessings for that? Because God, the same God that you're trying to please by doing something that he has told you to not do, you're actually potentially angering him. So what is the point of that kind of worship? So the the best um, reasoning is that God himself has told us that we're not supposed to uh, force kids to fast in a very young age. Um, when they eventually reach an age of 10, 11, uh, or, or when they become slightly more mature or are becoming more mature, you can ease them into it. The thing is, if you force them as six years old, ask them to fast all 30 or 29 fasts, hmm. they are, you're potentially, one thing is you're, it can be harmful for their physical health. Second thing is that you can um, indirectly um, make them hate their faith without knowing if you force them to do something and tell them that their entire road to blessings is dependent on them staying hungry for 30 days um during this um every year during ramadan and that god is has, has said that that you're supposed to fast even though you're a kid and you as a kid you might still want to eat and you might still not be mentally strong enough to last without food for so many hours um, you ca- you're indirectly making your children question question God's um, judgment or the way he the, the way God has taught us things. So that's also something one should be mindful about because that forcing people to do something in a more strict manner than what God has prescribed can actually move your kids away from from Islam as well. So just it's, it it can create health issues. That's one thing that's very important to to in regards to the worldly matters. But in any case, God has told us 
that kids are not supposed to fast. So we shouldn't even question it when God has been very clear on who has been exempt from fasting. And then ease them into it. They can start by doing maybe two fasts a year and then maybe next year they can try three fasts and then four or five. And then eventually when they reach the age of, uh, when they reach puberty or teenagers, when they are 18 years old or like even younger than that, they will be ready to do all the fasts at that point. So it's all about logic and reasoning. Indeed, you know, uh, as you were mentioning, just for for the benefit of our listeners, you know, in Islam, uh, Islam tells to offer prayer. You know, when uh, this says your parents should start, uh, you know, making sure that they are offering prayer by the age of seven, and even then, the Holy Prophet didn't say that you should make sure, like you should force, or in in a way, you should, uh, you know, uh, draw their attention towards Amaz prayer. It says by the age of ten. You should be starting mm. slightly more harder to for them to offer prayer, and uh, when some people say that they should be keeping fast when they're five, which is I think more, you know, difficult thing to do than offering mm. prayer. You know, yeah. not eating for whole day. You know, I need to understand the teachings which clearly says that you know, uh, for 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 a child who should be offering prayer, what which age? How is it possible that uh, Islam would say to a child to keep fast who is just five or six or seven? And of course, people are doing it. They need to understand where you know the, what actually Islam wants from us. You know, a true change. Uh, you know, a, a innocent. Uh, so he's already innocent. <laughs> so I think mm-hmm. he has some time to grow up, and when he's physically strong, and then keep fast. Of course, otherwise it would be damaging for his or her body. Thank you very much uh, for the answer. If we move on to the next question, how can we keep uh, our you know good habits even after finishing Ramadan? People in Ramadan, they you know everybody. They, they try to keep up with things and they uh, have a good ab- habits within them and they change themselves, they leave some sense. But sometimes people do not, you know, uh, keep it on doing all those things. So would you like to say something on this, how one can keep their good habits even mm-hmm. after finishing Ramadan? Yeah, the, this one is, is one that I always find to be tricky myself. Mm. I remember whenever we, in, in the mosque, we will always ask, growing up, we would ask that to make a goal of, um, on something that we would maintain after Ramadan. For instance, always waking up for the hajjud mm. or or finishing the Quran in, in one month or actually reading the Quran every day, just even mm. doing that, mm. even if it's just a small portion. True. Those kind of habits that you usually improve or do more of during Ramadan, choose one goal and then maintain it for the rest of the year. And I would always find it tricky myself to to adapt to those things. And I, I would work on finding new ways of, of looking at, at the month of Ramadan. Basically, we we need to understand that Ramadan is supposed to be a boot camp where we are in training. We are being prepared for the entire rest of the year that's coming forward, uh, coming in front of us. And we need to do our utmost during that month to make changes in ourselves and adapt uh, closeness to God and adapt new um, and adapt good habits uh, in the way we we. Um, we um, the way we behave as human beings in the way we worship God uh, so that those habits stick to a point that we can uh, continue doing them after Ramadan and we need to remember that God doesn't only exist during the month of Ramadan he isn't asking us for worship only in the month of Ramadan. He looks at us every single day. Yes, there are added benefits and blessings in the month of Ramadan. We say that that God is closer to us during the month of Ramadan and, and that our 
um, the immoral actions are, are harder to do. Um, but we basically need to remind ourselves that God is there the rest of the year and that mm. Ramadan is supposed to be a training camp where God expects us to learn as much as possible and then execute it for the rest of the year, not leave it after the 30th Ramadan, but actually show him after those 30 days that, hey, God, I made some changes during this month, mm. and now I'm going to show you how the rest of the year is going to be for me. And obviously, we're humans. We're, we're going to make mistakes when we might not be perfect, uh, 100% perfect every single day. We're not even able to be 100% perfect during Ramadan. But it's the, the constant reminder that, hey, I started doing this good thing during Ramadan. Maybe I should do make pull on the same effort to do that thing for the rest of the year. Because if, if we can't give God our best for the other 11 months, then what, what is the, I thought to myself, what is the point of me giving an effort during the month of Ramadan when for the remainder of the 11 months I forget God or I forget my obligations towards him? It sort of becomes quite pointless. So I, that's the kind of reminders I give myself all the time. Um, I don't know if there helps with other people, but yeah, that's that's usually how I think or try to think. Yeah, indeed, you know, when you do something, anything in the in your in your own life, and if you're doing for a good month, mm. good for a month, you don't basically you know leave it uh, suddenly after you know after a month. You start, you keep doing all those things, and especially if they are do, doing good things. You know, I'm going back, uh, you just mentioned about your mother, about your neighbor who is uh, ill, even mm. then she wants to keep fast. I think they have uh, sometime in their mind that uh, if they're not keeping fast, then how can they reap the reward of Ramadan? If you would like mm. to say on this particular topic as well, how can mm. one still reap the rewards of Ramadan if they are exempt from fasting like illness or uh, mm. other reasons? Yes, we need. Once again, it's it's a, a misconception that Ramadan is just about fasting. I used to see that in some people growing up, and I remember as a child as well I, when I would argue with my parents about wanting to fast. I thought maybe Ramadan was all about staying hungry, about fasting. Mm-hmm. Ramadan is so much more than the concept of fasting. Obviously, that's an important part of it. But what's the point of fasting if you are asleep from morning until evening and only wake up to eat? Um, it's about a nourishment for the soul and to nourish your soul and reap benefits of of Ramadan you can for instance very small things that you can do if if you're living with someone who's fasting you can uh, get tons of blessings by preparing food for them during Sahur and Iftar uh, for instance, um, you can reap blessings by uh, still by doing charity, helping people who have it worse than you. You can attend programs in your local mosque, be a part of congregational prayers, um, spend your time uh, sending blessings to Holy Prophet Muhammad وسلم, uh, and uh, praying to God, supplicating to God as much as possible. Read as many books as you possibly can on Islamic teachings and find examples from the lives of, of uh, the prophets who lived way before us from from other prominent figures in Islam and try to gain from some goodness from their life um, and uh, just there is so much you can do just be a good addition to your community do more for other people pray to God you can work on fixing your five daily prayers praying them on time you can work on uh, your additional prayers in Amafils you can work on uh, reading the Quran um, and supplicating 
So attending programs in the mosque, congregation prayers, yes. I would say there are tons of things you can do. This is just some of it. And then, yes, be a resource at home for those who are fasting, for instance, if, you're, if your health obviously allows you to do it. Indeed. That is, yeah. Thank yeah. you very much. Uh, thank you very much mm-hmm. for your answers. Uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you. And uh, I don't know what time is in the Norway right now, but uh, thank you very much for joining us and giving the answers and giving a true insight of the questions. Thank you very much. So in addition to, uh, we spoke about, uh, rather we listened to mm. the spiritual benefits of fasting. But there is recently a trend of looking at the physical benefits of Mm. fasting. And there is a trend that the best fasting you can do is the intermittent fasting, Mm. which is the kind of fasting which is in the month of Ramadan. Mm. That for a certain period, you don't take anything at all. Mm. And then after that, you can have, uh, you know, what you know, your normal food or whatever. So they say that the best form of fasting, which will um, give you the maximum benefits is, is the kind of fasting which is in the month of Ramadan. So, of course, people allow the water, but the water is not allowed in the Islamic fasting. You're not allowed anything Mm. um, um, from about one and a half uh, hours before sunrise up to sunset. So, as soon as there is sunset, you can break your fast, and that is is called aftari. So, sari is the meals you have before um, the period, as as I mentioned, that is, is one and a half before the sunrise, that's when the time finishes to, if you can eat at night time, it's called seri, and uh, you are expected to eat something at that time, uh, even for a blessing, even if you're not hungry, and, and then you carry on, and during the daytime, um, you try to um, to do good deeds, and that good deeds also involve that, and it is the example of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that normally, he was a very um, um, sort of person who would help others, but in the acts of charity, uh, he would increase many folds in the month of mm. Ramadan. He would give a lot, um, you know, um, in charity. Uh, and um, they said that it was like a, a strong wind that his, uh, you know, he was spending in the way of Allah. Uh, it would increase. But likely, um, you, you say your pa- regular obligatory prayer, but in addition, you also say the additional uh, Nawafil, that is the supererogatory prayers as well. Uh, you try to do um, to help others, try to do good things, because uh, God Almighty says that if you want to achieve a higher status, a status where you can be um, uh, praiseworthy, uh, and that has been promised to the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And to him, addressing him, God Almighty has said that there is a you know if you say tahajjud. Tahajjud is in addition, mm. and uh, that is what is going to take you to to raise your status to the status where you will become praiseworthy. So, so that is the aim, that is the target when you you are trying to <clears throat> to fast. So, uh, while I was talking about uh, the physical benefits, um, and there are few which I can um, name. The benefits, particularly people, you know, there is a there is a uh, a large increase in the number of people who are suffering from diabetes mellitus. That is the the sugar commonly called the blood sugar control. It is that the best thing to control your sugar is to do intermittent fasting, because the reason why we are getting diabetes is not because of you are eating too much, 
or or uh, you are eating too much sugar it is mainly because you develop insulin resistance hmm. because as a result of eating the carbohydrates the sugars and the products which are made of sugar which are very concentrated nowadays um you have a very high insulin level in your blood but that insulin becomes less effective because of the constant spikes in the insulin uh, this is the resistance insulin resistance means that the insulin is, although it is there but it is not working mm. it is not letting the sugar go into the cells and that is why you get craving when you are diabetic you get a craving for sugar because this sugar is although it is you have a pool of sugar in your blood <laughs> but it is not reaching you it is mm. as if you are in the sea and and you can't drink that water so so that is why you you get craving and the best thing you can do for you is to um uh, the intermittent fasting is one of the best things one is to reduce your carbohydrates intake and the second is fasting intermittent mm. fasting fasting is the best thing which will help it reduces the inflammation in your body uh, it improves your blood pressure triglycerides cholesterol levels you know, also the neurodegenerative uh, levels it controls your weight uh, it possibly delays your aging the incidence of cancer also decreases if you mm. fast because it is a detox phenomena which you go through physically every every year and if you are going through it is going to help you uh, uh, with these this kind of uh, uh, ailments as well thank you very much um, dr tarik bajwa we are now reaching towards the end of uh, today's shows we have discussed in the first hour the wildlife and uh, in the second hour the month of ramadan the blessings and we will be discussing this further on in the coming weeks and in the month of ramadan i would like to thank the producers of today's shows jamidia bryant and andrasmin mirza for producing such a good show and i would like to thank the technical team who's working behind the scene uh, aqib ahmed to helping us uh, throughout today's show and please keep joining us uh, every day and keep listening to different topics which we discuss in a drive time show and in the morning show where you can you know call us and you can uh, you know speak with us and of course enjoy the topics